This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we'll bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. The track session you're about to hear today is about making disciples in college, which means getting creative. Well, Bobby Harrington, point leader for Discipleship.org, has co-authored a book with Alex Absalom called Discipleship That Fits, and this book helps frame creative expressions by anchoring them in the five major contexts of discipleship. So Discipleship.org partnered with Zondervan to release a free sampler of this book that you can download. Understand discipleship in the major context, from our personal walk with Christ to the crowds. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. That's discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for the sampler for Discipleship That Fits. Today we're featuring an episode from Resonate Church called Building Disciple-Making Pipelines in College Contexts, featuring Brian and Fry. Enjoy. Well, all right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, so many times we come to these, uh, these gatherings, and I think I've, I've shared before, um, you know, we come in with our team, and then we leave, and then we don't ever make any connections with folks. And, and oftentimes, as we've, we've been doing collegiate church planting, so planting churches in university contexts or on college campuses. We've just, uh, what, what we understand is once leaders begin to connect and begin to share resources, ideas, it changes the game for everybody in terms of what they're doing and what they're able to do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend about 45 minutes working through this idea of pipelines. Um, I'm going to have a lot of slides that have uh, content that's not linked to this. So my email address is bfry@resonate.net. If there's anything that you see me put up and you're like, hey, I want that, just email me and I'll share it with you. Um, there's a, if you've ever heard of a website called collegiatecollective.com, there were several of us that developed that. It's an open source uh, resource tool for engaging college students. So if you go to collegiatecollective.com, there are about 700 pieces of content on there. It's all created by college multipliers, people who are getting it done on the college context. We have ceased to produce new content on it, but all the materials there, it's podcasts, videos, and all, all that kind of stuff. Nobody makes any money on it, but it is just completely pro bono. So the topic today, we're talking about developing collegiate pipelines. Let me just tell you a little bit about me, and, uh, and then I'll work through the content. So uh, I grew up in SBC Life. So I started on a local campus as a college student, engaged in the college ministry, became a staffer, then became a uh, collegiate leader, a director at Bowling Green State University of Toledo, became the state collegiate guy in Ohio, and then became the national guy with NAM. And then about, uh, about three months ago tomorrow, I left my role at NAM to go be a part of one of these collegiate churches. So currently, I am an unemployed uh, minister. I'm looking for a job, but, uh, but I'm actually applying with three different companies. One's ministry, one's university, so Washington State University on Pullman. And then another one is a, uh, it's a, an engineering company to do leadership development with them. Actually have offers on the table. We have to make a decision by Monday of what we do as a family. So it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. So August of 2019, I left an apex position with the North American Mission Board and went to be a part of a collegiate church plant in Pullman, Washington, which looks like the Shire from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, for about a month a year. The rest of the time, it's just this brown, round, 
cold, dark place. But uh, man, we're seeing college students come to know Jesus in a pretty significant way. So why would anyone want to invest so much time in college students? So if you've seen this book, are you guys familiar with this this book at all? It's written by a guy named Steve Lutz. It's a phenomenal book on how to engage college students, post-Christian culture. Steve Lutz is a good friend. Um, he All kinds of great stuff in there. There are about two pages in this book that change my way of thinking about college students, and I think pretty much all the people who have who've worked uh, in the university of domain, especially those who are trying to start new things in new places. So why would anybody want to work on college students or work with college students? So let me just kind of walk you through this. I, I think most people in here, if you're interested in it, you kind of get this intuitively already, but he gives phenomenal language to it. So who is on the college campus? So that's top 3% of people academically, globally, that are on the college campus. So I want you to just think about that for a second. Top 3% people who've gone through education, that's who's on there. Uh, when they are, uh, that's the second most important time of, of a human development. I feel like you guys know this already, but just to, just to hash this out, that 18 to 25 block, psychologists will say that's the most formative time of life except from zero to age five, okay? So we know that the top 3% get there, we know when they get there, and then you think about where they are. The college campus is really this space and place where you have people who are looking for identity, looking for meaning coming in, and then you have people who are launched with careers out. And then you have businesses, you have economics, you have governments, and all the elites are all there together in that window. So when we think about Great Commission, we think about historical movements, that 18 to 25 bracket forever, I mean, you think Protestant Reformation, you even think about back to the disciples, who did Jesus pick? Well, they're dudes in that 18 to 25 block, young people, really just starting out in career and life. So when you put those together and then you think, what's there? The people who are on the college campus today, they're going to be leaders in businesses, in, in, in government, in education, everywhere. So uh, why, why would we do this? Well, frankly, the college campus is the most mobile, most malleable, most movemental people on the planet. And then we ask, what are we doing with college students as churches? And for the most part, churches will say, hey, we've got to reach the, the high school students. We've got to reach them before they leave because we're going to lose 80% of them when they get to college. So the guys that I work with, the teams that we've worked with, we've continued to try to bang the drum for the idea that you can do stuff on the college. You can do stuff in churches. You can do stuff with youth ministries. But if you're not catching them in college and embedding that DNA while they're in college, well, I mean, it's, here's the way it is. What you decide to do in college, the mores that you set in place in college really set the trajectory for the rest of your lives. So this is, this is why it's so important. So a little bit of context in terms of where North America is are 22.7 million college students. And that's U.S. and Canada. It's about a million in Canada. If you go up there and you hang out with Canadians, or if you are a Canadian in the room and I have not put Canada on here, I'm very sorry. I've, one of my former bosses would rebuke me regularly on this. But uh, our numbers in terms of Southern Baptist tribe, it's about 85,000. Crews, and that's actively involved. Uh, crews got about 75,000. Uh, IV is about 35,000. You, you amass all the numbers together, it's only about 300,000 college students that are involved in any kind of system process, any, any kind of formal disciple making. And even that number, not everybody in there is in discipleship process. So we've got approximately 22.4 million untapped. So just, I know, I know some of this is, is skinny for everybody in the room, you already know it, but 
three basic approaches to collegiate ministry at this point. One is a campus-based ministry, then one is a church-based ministry. So campus-based can be something like crew or Baptist collegiate ministry, Newman House, I mean, all, all that kind of stuff. Typically building on campus, they have RSO status, registered student organization status. Uh, church, if you go to any major university, you'll see around the periphery of that campus, dozens of churches that typically were started in order to engage that campus, but then have drifted away. And then this last model is collegiate church planting. So um, I'll share a little bit more about this in a second, but you're trying to put a church on a campus using RSO status as a platform. The goal is to reach college students and not just reach them to see them come to know Jesus, but, but functionally, you're trying to move a college student from a pagan. You're trying to reach lost people on the college campus and move them to a place where they are planters. So in that five, four, five, six year period, that's what collegiate church planning looks like. So that last, uh, that last domain, that's where I've spent my time. And let me just show you perspective. And this will be the last, uh, this will be the last thing I'll really say on, on focusing on models. Here's, here's what's happened within the collegiate church planning domain over the last 11 years. In 2008, there were 12 that I was connected with, that our guys were connected with. There were about 2,000 people involved in that. At that point in time, collegiate church planning was kind of considered disruptive innovation. You can't plant churches with people who are so young. You can't put something like that on a college campus, separation of church and state, so on and so forth. Uh, 2013, there are 40 of them. We present at SBC annual meeting, Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. The concept moves from fringe to a normal idea. By 2016, we've developed hubs of planting in, in all five of those locations. So each one of those churches individually are planting two churches per year. Uh, we hit double-digit numbers in terms of planting, and then we shift from the idea of collegiate church planting being something that's kind of uh, not, we don't want to do that to, hey, this is a really valuable thing. You guys should, you, we, we want to learn more about it. To this last year, 2019, 129 collegiate church plants, total 25,000 people involved in in our lane of uh, denominational life, it's becoming a preferred mechanism. So the reason I lay out all that is just for context. I'm not coming at you in a, in a prescriptive way. You have to do this at all. Very much a descriptive way. And I think so many times when we talk about disciple making, we talk about anything in, in church world, we come at it like you have to do this thing this way. This is the way, this is the product that I'm pushing, this is the product I'm selling. What I really want to show for you all today, for us, is here's what we see God doing, and we've seen historical examples of it in the past. So as we see God moving in this domain now in the college student world, what are, what are some of the things that are being used to capture that momentum and to accelerate that as well? So, so one of the collegiate churches, and this is the one that I'm, uh, I'm working with, started, uh, was a Baptist collegiate ministry at Washington State University. 2007, they said, hey, we're going to become a church on campus. And uh, yeah, just give you a little bit more context on what's happening here. So again, that is, uh, that's Resonate out at uh, Washington State University. Um, and again, we just moved out there. My, uh, my wife and I both, uh, both got, uh, or Heidi got a new job. Our kids are in high school and uh, we're working on that, that whole transition uh, as, a, as a family at this point. So you, you heard me say we're talking about collegiate church planning. So I'm going to shift now, focus completely to the disciple-making process and what we're trying to do. So if, if you're familiar um, with anything real life, you, you, uh, you get the circle picture, you know what, what that's connected to. 
Um, how many are you familiar with the Engel scale? Is, is that have any familiarity to you at all? Okay. So uh, basically, uh, Engel, James Engel, uh, 1960s, uh, wrote a book on engaging lostness, taking, uh, taking the gospel to places where the gospel has not yet been. And what he created was a scale that said, I mean, and, and he was really, wasn't trying to be, uh, ha- he didn't have strong data behind it necessarily. He just wanted a way to show what it looked like for somebody to move from a, a negative eight, so this would be a Romans 1 kind of no understanding of God, to a, a plus five, which would be a fruit-bearing, uh, multiplying disciple. So zero here is the point of conversion. So what he did is he gave just steps in the process for somebody to come to know Christ. And then once they did come to know Christ, what does their life look like as they continue to, to grow in that process? So if you're not familiar with this, uh, with Engel scale, I would strongly encourage you to take a look at it. It's a really helpful tool, especially as you're trying to help somebody come to know Christ or if somebody's following Jesus and they're like, hey, what comes next? So basically, we took our logo for our church and then we took Engel scale and then we juxtaposed on top of that a little bit more clarity in terms of steps in the process. So what this does is it moves from the negative eight. So um, if, if somebody comes on, like Emily Gelkin came onto our college campus, she did not understand what God was about. She did not understand anything uh, other than her parents told her, never read the Bible. It's a bad thing. Don't, don't pick this thing up. What people who read this, they do bad things. So Emily arrives on the college campus of University of Idaho. She is at that negative seven, negative eight. Um, has a desire to learn about what it means to follow Jesus, all, all that, but is engaged, uh, has awareness, meets some believers. You see, I put it a negative six, contact with believers. Uh, the criticism of Scale is that it's a linear process and following Jesus is just not linear or, or understanding what it means. It's, it's more like the stock market going up and down than it is a loop process. But what we, what we try to do with everybody we're working with is move them from a negative eight down to the bottom, to that point of surrender of Jesus. And we get them to a place where uh, typically a plus four, once somebody begins to share the gospel with others, they're at a place where they're beginning to think about others. And then our goal ultimately is to move somebody to a positive eight. So the reason we set that loop the way that it is, is because the, the culmination really isn't, hey, uh, you're reproducing yourself, you're a fruit-bearing, multiplying disciple, and, and that's the termination point. Really, at that point in time, you are turning the corner and you're investing in other people. I mean, that's, that's what we're aiming toward. So the church in North America, if I was going to ask you, as a whole, where do, we, where do we focus our time, energy, and resources on that scale? Where would you all say? We think about sermons on Sunday. We think about all of our Sunday school programming, small groups. Where do we put our time and energy and resources? Zero to three. Zero to three? Okay. Any anybody else? Just I'm listening for opinions, right? Anybody else? It's just zero. We focus on zero, so we're just getting them converted. Okay. Uh, how many would say we focus on negative fours to negative eights? Yeah. How many would say we focus on plus fours to plus eights? Yeah. Okay. So what you guys are processing through when you sit down with a college student and you lay this thing out and you ask them, hey where do you think most people are on the college campus? They can give you a great answer. And then you can ask them, hey, as you look at our church, as you've been a part of our ministry, where do you think we are? As a church? It is a great answer, great feedback. And then you, for you to ask a student, so where would you put yourself on this thing? It's really, it's just a really helpful tool. I mean, 
if somebody's at a negative seven or negative eight, you probably don't want to bring this tool out right out of the gate, right, right out of the chute. But for you to process through with folks, it just gives a really helpful way of understanding where they are and then understanding that, hey, our goal isn't just to see people come to know Christ. Our goal is to help people move through the disciple-making process. And if, if somebody if somebody's not uh, making disciples or they're not sharing the gospel, it's just such a great help to, to help them see, hey, here's what comes next. So as our church, as we focus on what our phases were, basically we think that we have gone from, um, from our early plant stage. So we're trying to be relevant to, uh, these, are, these are just stages by year there, there's five, five points. We wanted to be relevant, so we planted a church in the college campus. It was kind of a y'all-come approach. Uh, you see our metrics, what we were measuring the whole time, what, what we were celebrating, and so on and so forth. Uh, so we went from relevance to community to a place of mission where we're trying to reach out. So we got really excited about the number of death to lives, so people who had no concept of God or, or was, were kind of at a negative six, seven, and eight, to a place where uh, they're fruit-bearing, multiplying disciple, to the number uh, where we went into reproduction mindset, uh, where we were trying to reproduce what we had to start stuff on other campuses and then to the place of multiplication now. So tangibly, what that looks like, you see down at the bottom, sites. So the first three sets are the church is functioning at Washington State University and the University of Idaho. Uh, by the time that we hit that reproduction stage, we're trying to plant not just one church, or we're not just trying to, uh, I guess at that point in time, we're trying to plant a church. We're trying to get to a place where we're starting new things in new places. And then at this point in time, what we're at is, is a place where um, in 2018, we planted two churches, so to Boise State, to Idaho State. And then this year, we've planted, we've planted three, and we've sent out four teams total. So uh, over to Western Washington, Montana, uh, University of Montana, Montana State, and then up into a place in Canada as well. So I show you this just to make the point because we have focused on that disciple-making loop and because we focus so much on disciple-making process, and we've not said that college ministry is about these four years only. But like, if, if you're new to this stuff and you're thinking about, hey, what do we do? So much of what we do is focused on the freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year. I mean, this, this is where we land. But if there's just this drop-off right here, if we can aim them towards a destination— and give them a calling to that place. So this is where the planting piece comes in. It accelerates everything that you're doing here in this whole process. In the next session, we'll talk more about reaching freshmen and what to do with them to, to move them through the process. But again, what I want you to see is in order to get to a place where we have seen um, disciple-making work well, so we've seen uh, third, fourth, fifth-generation discipleship taking place within our church, is we gave them a destination post-college or destination from where we are to where we're going next, okay? So I'm going to switch over here now show you our leadership pipeline. So this is, when I, I said earlier, we're trying to move people from pagans to planters. Um, how many are familiar with Ram Sharan leadership pipeline stuff, Mac Lake? Okay, so you're familiar with it. Is, is this, just give me, give me a little feedback. Is this kind of totally new stuff or, hey, Fry, we've seen this before, all right? Okay, so this is new, all right. So here's, here's what I want to show you. In just a second, I'll click into another sheet, and every one of, uh, every one of those the things that have coloration to them, you click on them, and it's hyperlinked to a document that explains what that thing is, okay? 
So if you're coming in here and you're saying, Brian, I've got a ministry of like 10 people. We're not creating a leadership pipeline. It's create church planning. That's totally cool. Uh, but what I want you to see is whether you are in a college ministry of a 10 or you're in a college ministry of, of 5,000. So it's the largest uh, church that we're working with at this point. Um, the, the benefit to this, the whole, the whole idea of a leadership pipeline is you have a point of origin and then you have a point of destination and each one of these nodes on the sides are, are set up so that you're helping an individual in your ministry turn a corner around that thing. And the way that you move people from one node to the next, so from node to going around the curve to the next, is you have clear processes that you're trying to accomplish with individuals, okay? So you say, so do we need to have uh, missional engagement? Do we need to have small groups? Do we? No, it really doesn't matter what you have uh, there. Uh, in the sense of what you should put in your, in your uh, what you should have at your ticks or your hashes are what help you get students from one place to the next place. Does that, does that make sense? So the concept is what you really need to be thinking about, not necessarily the steps involved or trying to port that in from the outside. So you may say, hey, well, here's what Resonate will do. Hey, we want to get people involved in missional engagement. So we want them volunteering uh, with the intent to share gospel with people on campus. So there's a process for that. We want them to get them into our small group. So for Resonate, that's called villages. So that's the, pr the process there. Uh, there's a process that goes to get them involved in villages. And then engage volunteer. We want them serving in some capacity within the church. So that's Resonate's uh, process for moving them from a freshman to somebody who is engaged in, in their congregational life, okay? Let me pause here and just say, what, what, are you, what questions do you have, or is there anything that doesn't make sense about the pipeline process itself? Uh, so when I started college ministry at Bowling Green State University of Toledo, I wish I would have had this to be able to tell our students hey, as you be a part of this process, as you're doing this with us, here are the steps to help develop you, to help send you. Now, I would not have at Bowling Green State University said, when we were starting it from scratch, right, year one, three, year two, said, hey, we're trying to send you out as a church planter. At, at that point in time, I just didn't understand any of this stuff. What I would have said is, hey, one of the first things that we want you to do is be reading your Bible, like studying Bible. And we want you to be in a group in that process. And really, the most important thing for you to do in this first semester, other than trying to understand who Jesus is and what this thing's about, is to go on a mission trip with us or go on a, a trip of any kind with us. So that's what I would have done through that process. I would have put in completely different stuff, but I would have absolutely used the pipeline because it just makes so clear for students what they can do. Is, is that helpful? Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, we have seen college ministries of 20 use a pipeline process, and work it effectively. And what, uh, so this is like Alan Tate, Well Florence. When he got started with everything, Well Florence down in Alabama, what Tate did was he saw the, this pipeline and he said, okay, we're not going to do that. It's not going to be that complex. So he took it back to his students and processed and said, okay, if we want to help you move through a place where you're growing and you're developing and you're disciple making, how can we do that? And he actually had the students help develop it based on things that they were already doing. So Size is not so as important in terms of ministry context as just having some kind of process for the students to understand, okay, so this is what we're doing. This is next steps. Okay? That's good. The only reason I mention that is because a lot of times when I talk to you know, pastors, they'll say, well, when we reach 400, then we're going to start yeah. thinking about planning a church. Or yep. you know, once we have somebody that's moving to this city, then we'll... Yeah. So it's yep. just... 
Yeah, if you wait, it's just not good. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely the process. All right, so let me go ahead and shift to, yeah, so let me just unpack this just a little, little bit more in the process. So what, what we're doing uh, by the time that they have, uh, they've reached five nodes in the process, or by the time that they have gotten to a place where they're ready to do church planner and training, for those who say, hey, I'm not going to be a part of church plants, um, I, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to go, I'm not going to be, uh, be engaged in the process, what we're going to do with them is help them figure out where, they, where their place is in marketplace, where their place is um, in cities where we have plants, where we have relationships. And again, just working through the process, our goal is to move somebody who is 18 to that eight to the place where they're 25, to where they are, uh, to where they're going out on church planting teams. So typically, when we plant in a new place, when we start churches in a new place, that's typically a, a planter and a spouse that goes along with five or six staff members, and typically it's 15 to 20 folks who are graduating out from college and going into that new context together. Uh, when they arrive on campus, they typically buy homes or rent homes in proximity to one another, very close to campus so that they can begin to engage. Uh, much of what they do is bringing people into their lives. Um, going back to the, going back to, let me head back to the loop for just a second. Most of what they're working on between, between negative four and negative eight is trying to engage as many freshmen on campus as possible, bringing them into their system. Uh, between negative four and, and zero, they're trying to get people reading scriptures, trying to get people in Bible, trying to get people walking walk to the place where, uh, where they're engaging Jesus in a more holistic and systemic way. Can right. talk a little bit about initially where Resonate was feeling stuck in the pipeline and yeah. how the pipeline helped them move past getting stuck? So where Resonate, and we'll, let's go ahead and just shift into questions or feedback loop at this point. What was happening is they were having a whole lot of people come, a whole lot of people get engaged. So they, uh, tip, at that first, at this juncture, they are seeing... So in that zero to 200 stage, uh, and then that 200 to kind of 250, 270 stage, that worship numbers, they're, they're getting folks there and people are bouncing because they're not being discipled. They're not moving into groups well. Uh, the way they started Resonate was they, uh, they started doing Resonate sessions. So we just in a coffee shop, ask a bunch of people to come, have them begin to process, begin to discuss uh, life issues, what was happening, and then they would begin to insert gospel into those conversations they kept that kind of idea. Let's just be a place where we can be relevant, where people can come in. And they were not moving people forward. I mean, they, they were bouncing. So it, it was at that point in time, probably, probably when they get to 2012, they begin to start thinking about a disciple-making process. So they're not even working with pipelines yet. They're, put, I mean, basically we put them on a tear sheet. This is a great tool to use just anytime you're working with leaders, you say, hey, what is it that you are trying to create? Like, what is the product of your ministry that at the end of their four years, this is what you're trying to create? And you ask them, hey, we want you to draw out right where you are now. Okay, so this is where our ministry is now. This is really where we want to be. So what does that process look like for you to move from uh, somebody's coming in your ministry to a place where they're a fruit-bearing, multiplying disciple? What's, what are the attributes of it? And what Resonate realized is, okay, we don't have any process whatsoever for making disciples. We have, 
an idea of what we want to create. We, we have tools, we have events, we have gatherings, but we've got to create some kind of formalized process. So after doing this, that's when they begin to work with Max Lake stuff and, and do the, the pipeline. Uh, leadership pipeline concept came from a marketplace guy named Ram Sharan. And uh, from, from that Mac Lake, began to adapt it and use it with churches. So you, if you're interested in doing pipeline and learning more about that and you want to pay to go through that process, it's, uh, it's pretty pricey, but pretty worth it if you're a big church and you have money to do it. So uh, if uh, otherwise, you can just kind of hijack what we're doing and begin to add the stuff in uh, as we go. Again, if there's anything that you saw in this, if you want, it, want any of these docs or anything like that, if you just hit me at the email address, I'll be happy to send it your way. Okay. Any other questions? Anything at all? No, I'm covering a lot. Go. Can you? This kind of in the weeds, but can you talk a little bit about uh, what facilitating this looks like? Like, is it like the village leader going to someone in their village? Like, how does it work when the kind of conversation? Yeah. So that there's a. <laughs> so let me let me explain it, uh, big picture, and then let me give you practical steps in it. So what they realized is in order to produce what we're trying to create, we've got to create some accountability systems in place. So you can say, hey, we'll have accountability. So we have the person who, uh, people who are in the villages, people who are in the groups, uh, and then we have village leaders. And then above village leaders, you have coaches. And then above coaches, you have site pastors. So that's actually an, another one of the pipeline processes. The problem is in order to facilitate all that, they needed some kind of accountability process. So they developed something called a shepherding tool, which, uh, I mean, here's what it is. It's basically a souped up Excel spreadsheet that every village leader reports in on, on a weekly basis. And that, that information has, and, and actually I'll, I'll process through it in the next session, but um, Resonate's goal for every one of their villages as their small groups is they want to have, um, they want to have three baptisms in each group. They want to have two death to life. So like I was talking about Emily Gelkin earlier, and then they want to have a one multiplication. So that is uh, in a year's time. So during college year time. So fall semester, spring semester, and ideally that's happening every semester. So if you make that ask, you want to see three baptisms in that group and you want to see two death to life. I mean, so you're leading people to Christ who have no, no background in church, no background with God. And you want to see that group multiply, meaning reproduce itself, start another group. Uh, what they realized is that's such a tall ask. We need to have accountability structures in place. So that spreadsheet on a weekly basis, the village leader, or so the small group leader, goes in and updates everything in there. So any person who comes first time, it goes in that list. Um, any, uh, and actually there's a tool in it that you can track their development, their attendance. Uh, it gives the sheet, uh, the shepherding tool, shows you where you are year over year in terms of people involved in the process. So they have used that, uh, they have used that process and tracked that process and coached to that process. So I was talking with Kristen Dabbs last night, who's on our team, and actually we're going to do a conference call on the shepherding tool uh, on uh, this coming Tuesday at noon Eastern at uh, 11 Central. I said come on, Chris, like how much time are the village leaders putting into this? And they say, well, it's on a weekly basis. It's 30 minutes or so that they're putting all the data in. And I said, but like how many people are doing it? Like, is this something that it's just for a few folks? She said, no, it's everybody who's doing it. Like if, if you don't do the tool and you're a village leader, you're going to get a conversation from your coach 
And then if you continue not to do it, then you're getting a conversation from the site pastor. And then if you continue not to do it, you're getting a conversation from uh, network staff. And you say, man, that seems like really brutal in the process. Well, what they've realized is if they track that data well, it shows them exactly where they are. And not only does it uh, show them exactly where they are, it gives the village leaders the ability, the village leaders, the ability to track where the person is on uh, on the loop and to help them move through the process as well. So it's actually, it's a super potent tool not only for helping make disciples, uh, helping the village leader track the disciples, but also as they're looking to invite people on the staff and they're looking for people to take on higher levels of leadership because everybody's bought into that tool, that shepherding tool. It's uh, it works. I mean, the whole thing works. Um, Yep. I understand where you're going, but in our context in Jamaica, it's a much smaller church, but what we are surrounded by about five or six colleges, what would be your approach? Because it's not that we want to build a church or to plant a church or something yep. like that. What would be our approach or your advice to us as a smallest nation then, as how do we go into these colleges and tap into these universities? Do you have a college program currently? Do you have any kind of college any kind of process with college students? Mm. Well, what we what we found, what we have is that our members are like a part of those students at those colleges. Yep. So that's all that we have. Like okay. One and two persons from our home church going into these colleges now. How do we access it in, I mean, getting into these churches? Not in the idea that we're going to form or going to create a church or yep. going to build a church. But what advice do you give to us? So if you, if you will send me an email, I will send you a document created by a guy named Paul Worcester who talks about how to start things from scratch and how to bring people together from multiple places on the campus. It's a super helpful book. It's Campus Ministry 101 kind of book. Very, very helpful. It, it will. I can give you two or three ideas, but they're going to be ideas and they're going to be short and it's going to take more conversation. That that resource that he has will be, it'll be very helpful to you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, basically, anytime you have college students meeting, you've got to figure out a way to get get them gathered to create community and start talking to people about Jesus. And then see one or two people come to know Christ and then get those people beginning to make disciples on the college campus. I mean, that's a, that's the simple, skinny, here's how you make it happen. Um, the, the challenge is in the process. That That's it. And, and then it gets messy along the way. Right? Then, yeah, messy along the way. Okay. Any other questions? Any other feedback? All right. I know I ran through a lot of content really quickly. Uh, anything that you saw document-wise, uh, I'll be happy to, to share with you later on. Okay? All right, I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer. Father, thank you for disciple-making. Uh, Lord, thank you that it is in so many different ways. Uh, it's, it's a silver bullet for the gospel. Lord, we know that if people are embracing the gospel, they are living it out, and they are seeking to make disciples— of others, Lord, that it's there's so many things that are cured in churches, so many things that are cured in terms of uh, people's walk with Jesus. Father, I, I just pray that we as leaders uh, would be on an individual level, personal disciple makers. Father, we would be good disciples, and then we would be good disciple makers. Father, I also pray that uh, that we would, if, if we fail at anything else, Lord, help us to not fail at just being a good disciple. And help us to look uh, at everyone, Father, from our neighbors to our coworkers to the most lost negative eight college student on the college campus. Lord, help us to have eyes to see them as future fruit-bearing, multiplying disciples. 
Father, help us to see individuals with the eyes of Jesus as he looked on his disciples. And despite all of their challenges and all of their difficulties and all of the mess that he was going to have to walk through with each one of them, Father, he still had compassion on them and he still loved them to a place of reproduction. Lord, help us to be that way as well. Help us to love people to the place where we can help them grow in their faith and then multiply others in terms of their faith as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks everyone for your time. That's it for today's episode. Check out the sampler for Bobby Harrington's book with Alex Absalom called Discipleship That Fits. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. Thanks for listening. Until next time.